0: Welcome to my Parsha Share. This week it's Parsha's Told Us, and uh, it's a wonderful Parsha. It's a Parsha that tells us about the family of Yitzchak. It's full of information, not all of it pleasant, some of it very tough, but we get to know two of the major players in this early period of our history, the history of our nation. One of them is called Yaakov, the other one's called Asov, And uh, we're going to look, actually, at a very small piece at the beginning of the Parsha. We're going to look at a beautiful Nesivas Sholom. And I know I often share the Nesivas Sholom with you. And whenever I do, I, I I get so much great feedback from the people who watch the Parsha share online, who watch it on YouTube, who listen to it on SoundCloud. So... I would be delighted, if you have any comments on some of the things that I have said, either to leave them as a comment on YouTube or to email me, Rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, at Y-I-N-B-H It's always wonderful to hear from you. And, of course, if you want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, you can do so by clicking on the icon at the bottom right hand of your screen. The point is that even before Yaakov, Jacob, and Esau were born, there was an issue. And the issue was, Rivka became pregnant. Now, of course, she had no idea because they didn't have uh, scans in those days. So she couldn't go uh, to her obstetrician and, and find out what she was having. And see its heart beating. Whatever it is that we do nowadays, I mean, we have incredible, the incredible ability to be able to predict and see and look and know everything about our babies. In those days, they had absolutely no idea. They knew that they had become pregnant. That was the extent of it. But she had no idea what was going on. And what about what am I talking about? Tarashi so uh, quotes uh, a medrashic source, and the medrash says to habonim bekirba, whenever Rivka went past a place which was a center of monotheism, it's colloquially it's it or at least in terms of the way the midrash describes it, it's called yeshiva of shame and aver. But there were people in those days who were talmidim of Abraham Avinu or people who were associated with the message, with the teachings, with the ideology, with the theology of Avraham Avinu, believed in one God, and uh, even though they kept to themselves, and they were very small in term, in numerically, they were totally insignificant. Whenever Rivka went past one of those centres, she felt a lot of movement inside her stomach. Then when she went past a pagan temple, a place where they worshipped idols, where they denied the existence of an omnipotent creator God, she also felt a lot of movement in her stomach. That's what it means when the Pasuk says, bonim and there was a lot of activity inside Rivka's stomach, and she was puzzled by it. So she went, selakim. she went to ask God. So either she went to ask uh, shame. Maybe she went to ask her husband. Maybe she spoke directly to God. It's not important. She had some type of conversation, an interaction with God with regard to the children inside her because she was extremely puzzled and disturbed, perturbed by what was going on during her pregnancy. And that is the starting point of today's shir. We're going to begin looking at the Nesivas Shalom. Nesivas Um If uh, if you look at the comments on YouTube, on SoundCloud, you will see the source sheet, which is a scan of the Nesivas Shalom. You can look at it inside. And uh, if you're now watching this on Zoom, you can just go into the comments section and you will see that uh, Carly has very generously posted this, uh, this source sheet for you to look at. And you can You can look, um, as I'm reading it, you can look at it inside. That's how he begins. He quotes the Posuk. And they were um, jumping around inside her. To which her response was, If that's the case, Why is this happening to me? And she went to ask God, what is going on? How, I, how, how am I am I meant to understand this? What is the message here of Va'yistrait to Habonim the Kirby. Hashem and God said to her, "Shnei goyim bevitnech. There are two nations inside you in your stomach, in your womb. U'shnei Leumim Aich And once they emerge, they will go their own separate ways. And one will always be subjugated by the other. The, the answer that God gave her is curious and at the same time it explains the situation. She had no idea that what she had inside her was twins. She didn't know Yaakov and Esau. They hadn't been born yet. She just knew that she was pregnant and she knew that there was this troubling uh, anomaly. There was this differentiation that existed that seemed almost schizophrenic because the baby inside her was both excited by monotheism, by believing in Hashem, by emunah, uh, and by being a good human being in terms of accepting what it is that Hashem wants from us. And at the same time, Somebody who rejected, there was a baby insider who rejected that. Now, if that's the case, and if it's one baby, how is that possible? How do we explain one person who believes two things at the same time? You can't believe that black is white and white is white. You can only believe that black is black and white is white. Now, if one person believes two things to be true that are mutually exclusive, that's a problem. And that's why she went to seek the advice or at least the assurance of Hashem that this was not something that she should be concerned about. And that's what God said to her. Don't worry, you're having twins. This is not one, this is two. Now, what lesson is there in this for us? That's what the Nesivas Sholem is concerned about. All biblical narratives... Every story in the Torah is only recorded so that we have a lesson to learn from it. The only reason these stories are here is because we reading them 4,000 years after they happened have some reason to learn something from them. And it's so important that we understand these lessons. It's so important that we truly appreciate what the Torah is trying to teach us when we look at these stories they're not just narratives they're not fairy tales they contain important theological messages and we need to appreciate them and understand them I want to just add here and because we're talking about two children being born Esau and Yaakov and uh I want to celebrate the birthday of one of my most avid listeners and watchers. And that's, of course, Shawnee Fine. This sheer is dedicated to her. She either comes on every week to the Zoom whenever I give a sheer, or she listens to it. And every single Shabbos when I see her at the minion that we have and uh, we discuss the activities of the week, she always tells me, Rabbi Donna. I listened to your shir, and I appreciated it so much. Now today, as I'm recording this shir, it's Shawnee's birthday. So I want to wish her a happy birthday, and I want to say how much I appreciate having a Talmida, somebody who is uh, my student, my disciple, somebody who learns Torah from me. I'm so delighted to be able to teach Torah to her, as I am to be able to teach Torah to all of you who are listening. But I want to celebrate, and please join me, in celebrating and commemorating her birthday and congratulating her for reaching the age that she has reached, which she doesn't want to to disclose, and of course she's just 21 again, but we are delighted that she is part of the group that is studying Torah with us, that is part of our Torah study group, each and every week. Shawnee, happy birthday. Let me come back to the Nesivas Shalom. Let's look at what he says. There are two nations in your womb. The Urachaim commentary says as follows. How is it possible to understand that a holy and righteous person like Rivka, like Rebecca would ever say to God, if that's the case, if this is what's happening, if these children or child inside me is behaving in this way, why is this happening to me? How are you to understand that a righteous woman like Rebecca would react in this way? Because of the bother that she was experiencing as Rashi, Says, V'oid the Arachayim also asks, Mata How exactly did God answer her, respond to her, shnei goim by saying that there are two nations within you? How exactly is that going to uh, make her feel better about what was going on? Now that she knows that there are two nations inside her, how exactly is that resolving the situation for her? Says the Nesivus Shalom. Let's try and understand. Let's explain this matter. Kidisa In it says, and in other holy books, nikraim Your thoughts. Let's remember something, a very important thing, that you as a human being have thoughts, you have the ability to think, you have the ability to, in your mind, put together certain ideas. All of those ideas are called children. And that explains the concept of and that the children... To bonim, the children were uh, active and jumping about. There were two different types of thoughts that were jumping about, that were moving around inside her head. There were two different types of thoughts that she was thinking, Rebecca. There were holy thoughts, and there were unholy thoughts. And as Rashi brings mechazal from chazal. Whenever she went past the holy place, Jacob, Yaakov, wanted to come out. And when she passed an And when she passed an unholy place, Esau was trying to get out. That's what it means physically, materially. But actually on a different level, in a different way of understanding it, what does it mean? That she had two different types of thoughts going on in her head. She had good thoughts and she had bad thoughts. By the way, that's all of us. We have sides in our brain, in our thought system, that are very good. We're always thinking the best, positive, upbeat, complimentary. And then we have sides in our brain, in our head, the things that we think about that are not things that we are particularly proud of. All of those thoughts are our children. They define us now to the extent that we could ever understand what's going on in our heads. What are we, good people or bad people? Do our good thoughts define us, or do our bad thoughts define us? That's what the Nesiv Shalom is referring to. But Taima lama What does it mean when she said to God, when Rivka, Rivka Rebecca said to God, lama ze aneichi? Kolaima sheim Ben shahu iruv tovarah If I'm a person who has both good thoughts and bad thoughts, I can't make up my mind who I am. I'm confused. I'm complicated. Why is this me? Who is this? Sharei Kobagam Eit hadas iruv Knowing the story in the Garden of Eden, that there were uh, there was a tree called Eit yeah. hadas. There was a tree. That was giving us the knowledge of good and bad, knowing that that was happening, that this is the human condition, that we are good or we are bad. Rivka was wondering, what am I? Who am I? What do I represent? How am I meant to understand what I am? After Adam was expelled from the Garden of Eden, what was his function? What was his purpose in life? What was our purpose, by the way? We're descendants of Adam. We are Adams, all of us. Adams and Eves. What is our purpose in life? To somehow correct the mistake that was done in the Garden of Eden. What was that mistake? The mistake was that we somehow thought that good is bad and bad is good and we didn't understand that there was any differentiation. But now that we know, we're all trying. The Ovis HaKadoshim, they were the foundational figures of who we are. They were trying to create some type of balance between Toiv and Ra. The Im benzer and Rivka thinking to herself, what am I? I am Yitzchak's wife. I am one of those foundational figures. She had an absolute sense of who she was. She knew who she was. And knowing who she was, what was her reaction to the fact that Vayisroi to Abanim Bekirba? She says, Lama ze'onoichi Ta'aruv If my son is a combination, is a confusion, that's the way I would put it. A confusion between good and bad. That's not what I want to be. That's not what I represent. That's not who I am. There's no such thing as a confusion. A Tareves of Toyvvor. But telekh Lidray Hashem, and that's why she sought guidance from God. La and what did God respond to her? Shne Goyim Bevitnech. You need to understand what this means. You need to understand what's going on. There are two Goyim, there are two nations inside you. Pirish, ben Echod. There's no one son that says is two things. Sha boy that he has both good and bad. There are two separate elements of you, inside you. One which is completely from the source of goodness, uh, and another that is completely and utterly from the source of evil. And now she understood what was going on. In other words, there was confusion. I would call it a theological confusion. What is toivorah? Is toivorah that one person can be good and one person can be bad? In a sense, what the Torah wants to convey to us through this story is that you have to make a choice. What are you? Are you good or are you bad? Are you Yaakov or are you Asov? Are you a person Who is determined to be good even if there's a part of you that drags you down? Or are you a person who wants to be bad despite the fact that you have good thoughts and good behaviours? Rivka had the feeling that what she had inside her was a schizophrenic. A good and bad person. And Hashem said to her, no, there's no such thing. There's a good person who does bad things. And there's a bad person who does good things. Shnei Goyim bevitnech. You have a Yaakov Avinu, who's an incredible mentor as a foundational figure for Klal Yisrael. Even if some of the things that Yaakov did, we can question and discuss and talk about. And then you have an Esau. Somebody who's an exemplar of Kibbud Av. Of how to honor one's father. There was nothing that he wouldn't do to honor his father, and yet he is a paradigm of evil. Why? Shnei goyim bevitneich. There are two nations inside you. Omerumas bezal dvar ha'avoda. The shnei ha shnei hayitzorim sheyesh Says the Nesivos Shalom that the two inclinations that exist in a person are somehow indicated in this story. And that's why we have this story. That's why we know about the fact that during her pregnancy she experienced this conflict, this challenge to her faith. Because we need her to know that there are two separate inclinations in a human being. There is a Yetzirah HaToyv, there is a good inclination and then there's the yitzahorah, which is the evil, the negative, the bad inclination. The whole purpose and functionality of creation is that there is this constant battle between good and evil. It doesn't exist in heaven. It doesn't exist in a place which is only spiritual and godly. But in a place where it's possible to deny God's existence, there is always this tension between good and evil. And the purpose of it is, in a sense, the entire underpinning of creation is who is more important than who at any given time. Which one is stronger? The Rav is the stronger and Sawyer is the younger. Which one is stronger? Which one is weaker? Rav huayet sahara The stronger one. You should know that the world is weighted against goodness. It's like, and I've used this analogy before, if you go to a casino and you play roulette, how is it possible that the house The casino always wins because there is a number in on the roulette wheel which will always enable which always adds an edge of possibility to the house that even if the house is losing ultimately as long as people continue to play the house always has the edge and will always win it's not possible in a physical world, to deny the reality of materialism, of all of those things which draw us away from spirituality, from God, from believing in the divine. We live in a world which is weighted against religion, which is weighted against faith. That's the reality. That's who, that, by the way, that's how God created the world. It's not for now, it's for a theology share. But that's the way it is. Says the Nesivas Sholem. That's how God created the world. There will always be a battle, a constant battle, a struggle. Between the good inclination and the evil inclination. And the evil inclination. And that's what it means when it says for Rabbi Abay Tzair, Hu Ayetz Harash You need to know that the Eitz Harash came first. Your physical, material existence is always going to precede your spiritual and godly awareness. Kamei Chosov Le Pesachatos Leibets Shemiyad Im LeDosay Shel Adam Neilad Im Ayetz Harash E BeKirboi. The moment you're born, you know, a baby that's born, they look pure, they look wonderful. They have no sense of spirituality, no sense of God. They've got no sense of the fact that God created them. Children have no sense of spirituality. They've got no sense of godliness. They don't understand that God created them. All they care about is, am I having a good time? Am I happy? Did I eat something? Did I get a gift? Do people give me a good time? That's what a child is thinking. They could be the sweetest child in the world, but there's no godliness in that child. There's no sense of the divine in that child. We, have a, we may have a sense of the divine looking at that child, but that's us. We're projecting. But in reality... That child is not a godly individual. So what happens? How does that change? How are we meant to understand that? The default position of any human being is material, animal, mammal. That is what we are, says the Nesivos Shalom, Rab Hu you must understand that the most powerful force in creation is the Yetzirah. Yetzirah is just a metaphor for physical desires, for material um, requirements. But the younger one, the Tsoir, is the Yetzirah Tsoir because it comes much later in a human life. It's only when you become 13. 13 is used. It's an arbitrary number. When a child eventually emerges from childhood into teenage years and begins begins to understand the world around them. And we, as Jews, say that that happens when you are Bar Mitzvah, when you become an adult, when your brain is developed. During those years... Actually, in Jewish tradition, it's between the years of 13 and 20. But it begins at 13. What happens? how you dulled when you enter into your 14th year. And as Reb Chaim Vital said, boidkin He explained in the fact that we say in the Mishnah in Psochim, that ba'osa, just before the 14th, as it becomes the 14th, that's when we excise everything around us from any chomets that may exist. Through that, there is some type of hint to the beginning of the 14th year of a human being. At that point, it becomes relevant. When your brain begins to work in your earliest teenage year, the 13th year, when you suddenly realize that there's more to life than the next meal, your brain begins to function in a rational way. That is when you have the the possibility, as it were, of understanding that you need to get rid of Chomets. The Chomets is bad and the Matzah is bad. Non is good. That's the first time that you can begin to understand the meaning of it. What does that mean? Our purpose in life, says the Nisivah Shalim, is to make sure that Esau is always subservient to Yaakov, that the bad is always subservient to the good. Yes! It's true that there is bad and good in everyone. The question is, Which one is going to be better and which one is going to be worse? Which one is going to be dominant and which one is going to be less influential in your life? Rav The Yitzhah Hara should always be subservient to the Yitzhah HaToyev. The Yitzhah Rishon Admoni the Posuk says that the first baby came out, The Esau came out. He was red, he was covered in hair. The first one is the is the evil inclination. That emerges immediately when a person is born. Blood, which is red, is always something which is an indicator of sin. It's, you know, somebody is hot-blooded, we say in English. Somebody is always ready to do something. It's always to do with physical desires. That is something which emerges first. You're red, covered in hair. You're fully formed as a human being, as a physical form, to do, sadly, the wrong thing. Rishain hainu ayay admayni moira al-tavais u hadom. haddom. La'avvera. You are somebody when you're born who is automatic who is automatically geared towards doing the wrong thing, not that which God wants. The Yukrushma Aesov. And that side of you is called the Aesov side. Aesov asui. comes from the word or is derived from the Hebrew word that which is done complete it's completed it is it is finished when a person is born the physical material side is completely there they need to eat that very moment when a baby is born it begins to cry why is it crying It wants to get on with life. It wants to have all the things in life that it needs. It needs to eat. It needs to drink. It needs to breathe. It needs whatever it is that the physical requirements of a human being are. That's what this baby needs. That is Osui. It's done. It's asov. It's done. You are who you are the moment you're born. The Akhre came. But after that... Yotz Echov. only much later on the brother emerges. Hu HaYetz HaToiv, the Yaakov part is the Yetz HaToiv, is the good inclination of a human being. Sheborak Achakach B'Shnos Hayudalad, which only emerges in the 14th year, after you finished 13 full years of existence as a human being. The Oichezes Ba'akev Esov. And the hand of Yaakov Avinu, as the Pasuk says, is grabbing hold onto the ankle, onto the heel of Esau, his brother. Why does he hold onto the heel so that he shouldn't be crushed by the heel of his brother, as it were? We're made up of two parts. We're made up of a very mundane physical part, a material side. And we're made up of a very holy and spiritual elevated side. And we don't ever want to be ground into the ground by the heel of an Aesop. We want to be Yaakov. We don't want it to ever happen that the bad side Will destroy the good side. lishnas Inside the word beveyodai are the letters yud and dalad, which are the fourteen, the fourteenth year, which is straight after you've turned thirteen when you've become Bamitzvah. mitzvah. yodai biyako because at that moment the yad, the yudalad, takes hold. Of Aov but a cave of to destroy the badness which is inside it's so important to understand that as a human being we have two sides and one will always be dominant over the other they both can't be operating it's not possible for each to have equal capacity to have Equal bandwidth inside a human being. Either it's going to be a dominant Yaakov and a recessive Esav, or it's going to be a dominant Esav and a recessive Yaakov. That's who we are. That's what it means by Yisrael to Abonim beKirba, and she needed to seek out God's guidance as to what that meant. And He says, "Shnei goyim There are two nations inside you. However. That you should know that it's possible for the evil side, for the human side, for the animal side, for the mammal side, to be dominated by the tsor, that which comes later. The realization that there is a God. The realization that there is an omnipotent creator and that our purpose by being born is not just a function, to eat, to sleep, to work, but to rise above our natural elements and to be greater than the sum of our parts. And we can take this idea further and understand what it means when it says that his hand grabbed hold of the heel of his brother Esau and he was called Yaakov. Because ultimately, it's a little bit puzzling to understand as to why he would be named as a result of the fact that he grabbed hold of his brother's heel. The fact is that it was only that moment of birth that he grabbed hold of his brother's heel. The Enod of Midi wasn't something that continued in perpetua- perpetuity. It wasn't something that continued forever. Why would he have this divinely ordained name of Yaakov if it wasn't something that was eternal, that was constant, that was perpetuated beyond this actual moment? You know, this is not like some, some type of... Uh, you know, the um, Native Americans used to call, if, if they were born in the middle of the summer, they would call their children blazing sun. This is not the way the Hebrew Bible works, not the way the Torah works, that we call somebody something simply because, you know, hello, they were, you know Yaakov was holding on to the heel of his brother, let's call him Yaakov. That's not the way it works. So what is the purpose of the fact that he's called Yaakov? It wasn't something that happened every day, it was something that just happened momentarily for a few seconds as he was born why was he called Yaakov The Yeshloim says the Nesivos Sholem what does he understand how does he understand it he says the holy books explain the Akave the word Akave is Rosh is an acronym for the words Kadesh Atzmacha b'muter. Kuf, Ayin, base, Akav. It's the same letters. You should always sanctify yourself with that which is permitted. That's what it says. And that's what it means when it says that his hand was grabbed onto, was holding onto the heel of Esau. She be'inyon kodesh understanding this concept of sanctifying yourself with that which is permitted, we can understand, we can appreciate, it really explains to us it, the underpinning of this um, constant battle, this tension between the methods and ways of Esau and of Yaakov and that's what it means when the posik says that that which is greater will always rav being in the context of the hebrew meaning it means older but here the word rav means greater will always be subservient to the younger what does it mean how are we to understand that how is it possible for God to say that even though bad militates against good and bad should always win against good, God promises us, at least through the medium of this narrative, that Rabiavoid Yavoy how is that possible? What that seems to be saying is that we don't have choice because ultimately good will always prevail. What is he teaching us? What it means to say is that the ultimate understanding of what the Yetara can achieve and what the Yetar Tov can achieve is that Kodesh Atmecha Bamuta Im beinyone when it comes to things where a person is anxious because of what can happen to them if they perform or do something correctly or not. Are they going to benefit from what they're doing or are they going to suffer as a result from not doing it? Whatever the case may be. Aval in Harehem Bilti lashem Levadoi. The purpose of everything that is contained in the Torah, which is the ultimate text of our theological belief, and the deeds, the commandments, that which we are expected to do. Do you know what it is? It is that we need to love God, your God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with everything that we have. That is the source, that is the root of this concept of make sure that you sanctify yourself with that which is permitted. It um, uh, somehow encapsulates, it measures, it Weighs up that which is the will of God. That is the purpose of the Torah. The whole reason we have a Torah is that we should know what it is that we should do. And that's the strength, the might, the ultimate understanding of what it means when it says that that which is good will always prevail over that which is bad. Yehudi If a Jew will sanctify himself through that which is permitted. Do you know what that is? That is only because of the will of God. In other words, there's many things in life that you can do or not do. The question is, why do you do them? Do you do them because you want to do the will of God? Are you somebody who appreciates that God wants something from you and expects you to behave in a particular way? If that is your purpose in life, if that's what underpins you, I want to be what we call in English terminology a good person. What does a good person mean? I want to do what God wants. I want to be not a good person, a God person. I want to be a person who is a missary, who is a messenger of God. I want to be God's ambassador. I want to be God's representative. I want to do the right thing. I want to make sure that everything I do fits in and chimes with that which God expects from me. In that case, Rav Yavoid Tsoir. Why? Because it's rak Mishum Retsoin Hashem. Muftach Leisha Rav Yavoid Tsoir. He is assured, any such person, he or she is assured that Rav Yavoid Tsoir. Shanit Sochain Yel Tsad Hayetza Toiv Vara Yichna Elov. Because then you know, if that is your ultimate goal, I want to do the right thing. I don't want to just appear. As if I'm doing the right thing. I don't want to do it because it's socially acceptable. I don't want to do it because not doing it would make me look bad. I want to do it because I want to be what God wants me to be. Rav Yavoid Soir. And that which is bad will always be completely subjugated, will be completely dominated by that which is good. Rav is the word here in this passage which represents the Yitzah Hora, and tso'ir is the word in this passage which represents Yitzah Hatoiv. And included in this, even though in the material, physical world, it's true to say that the Yitzah seemingly is stronger, is more influential, is more powerful, is more dominant than the Yetz HaTov. Why? Shehu Rishon. Because it's already there. The Yetz HaRa is the incumbent. The Yetz HaRa already exists. She miyadim Pesachatos Because we know that at the moment the the individual is born a human being is born it's already bad there's a chatos involved there's something evil in the material desires of a child that it just wants to eat and drink and sleep and just exist it's just like an animal that's the initial status that's the initial state of being of a human being we have a haftacha we have a promise We have an assurance from God. And it comes from this story of Rivka when she was pregnant with Yaakov and Esau. It somehow is a paradigm for what we can achieve. That even though we are dominated by the house, as it were, in the casino, that seemingly we are always going to lose, says God, if you have the right intent... If your mind is correctly focused, fully focused on what it is that you need to be, Rav Yavoid the house is never going to win. It's always going to be you. You're going to that casino and everybody will expect you to lose, will count on you losing. But you're always going to win. The Rav Yavoidsoir hu your desire to be a Yaakov is always going to be stronger than any kind of dominant existence that is represented by Esau. Even though the battle, the war between the Yetatov and the Yetzerah is very tough and very demanding and it seems that every stage of the way that you're going to lose the ultimate victory is in the hand of every Jew. Are you going to be Yaakov? Are you going to be the Tsoir? Is it going to be a situation where you can dominate the Esau? That is the message that God gave Rivka at this, the very, very earliest stage of our foundational moment in Jewish history and history. Our nation was created via these patriarchs and matriarchs. And Rivka was worried. She was concerned. I have a schizophrenic inside me. Neither a God-believer nor a pagan, but both. Not exclusive, but fully inclusive, which is impossible. Says, God, no. There's two directions that you can go. You can go the Esau route, or you can go the Yaakov route. However you should know. That should you go the Yaakov route. Should you go in the direction of Yaakov. Should you or any human being that follows. Who is a descendant of yours. Goes in the direction of. One of those Shnei Goyim That is headed. The right way. Rav Yavoi That that side which seemingly is more dominant, will be dominated by the side that is seemingly weaker. Shemekadesh atzmoi Mutter. if you sanctify yourself in your life by that which is permitted, dedicating every aspect of your life, even the ones which are not particularly holy, even the side of your life that's not particularly involved with religion, but you dedicate it to the mutter, makhmiah <inaudible> bozez hara, you can totally dominate that side of you which is Ra, HaMushrish Boy, Miyoim Hayoldai, which has been rooted and deeply embedded inside you from the moment you were born. The Nasiba Sholom continues, but we will leave it here for today. You can look at the rest of it on the source sheet that is posted. But we have here, A deep and profound understanding of the difference between Esau and Yaakov and the importance of both of these figures, both of these concepts, they were human beings, but conceptually, why they both existed, so that we should know that Rav Yavoy Tsoir, that we as human beings, as Jews who are faithful to God, can always prevail over that which is bad inside us. Thank you.